Hello and welcome to BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. I'm your host, Ashley Grace Vendel. Thank you for coming along today. We've got a packed show today with an interview with a fantastic singer-songwriter and a retrospective album review, and I think you're going to be in for a great episode today. Hope you're all doing well out there. We are now about 17 episodes into BPM Pod. Thank you for sticking with us this far. If you do want to stay up to date, you know this by now, but if you're a first-time listener, you can go to bpmpod.com. That's where all of the information is available. You can also find BPM Pod on Instagram and on Facebook, so take a look there. Subscribe, like, stay in touch, and you'll be up to date with all of the newest episodes. And if you know someone who'd like to appear on BPM Pod, please do get in touch via any of those channels. As I said earlier, we do have a singer-songwriter coming up who we'll speak to later, a guy called Ben Osborne, British guy who really deserves your attention and time, writes some fantastic melodic ambient songs very reminiscent of leonard cohen so stick around for that but first in a new feature we're going to do a retrospective album review this week this one's rather special to me Released in 1989, Full Moon Fever is the debut solo album by Tom Petty, featuring contributions from members of the Heartbreakers. Recorded in 1988, to some dismay from other band members who didn't like playing the songs live initially, the album went on to sell 6 million copies globally, spawning 7 singles, 5 of which stayed in the top 100, and 3 hit singles in Free Falling, Running Down a Dream, and I won't back down. It is seen as Petty's creative peak with near critical acclaim and Rolling Stone listed it in their top 100 albums of the 80s. All Music also called it a minor masterpiece. So just how does Full Moon Fever stack up and what do I think about the album? Well, that's what I'm here to tell you. Now, I am a big, big Tom Petty fan, so this is going to be a somewhat biased review, but I must admit that I'd kind of forgotten about this album until I was in a vinyl store and found it very cheap, like a reprint, very cheap, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to pick that up. I have it digitally, but it would be nice to have it on vinyl, even if it sounds no different. So I picked it up on vinyl, Full Moon Fever, a very distinctive cover on the front. It's got this very nice sort of 80s sort of... uh, Miami Vice vibe to the front cover. It's very, very cool. 13 tracks, all of which are around the three and a half minute, four minute mark. Some a little bit shorter, some a little bit longer, but it's a very single lead driven album uh, from Tom Petty. Very, very polished in comparison to the other releases of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. They've always had quite a lot of polish to them, but this brought in Jeff Lynne of Electric Light Orchestra to produce the album. Uh, Jeff Lynne and Tom Petty then work uh, together on the Travelling Wilbury stuff, along with Bob Dylan, Roy Orbison and George Harrison. And yeah, Jeff Lynne brings a far more polished, nuanced sound to this album. It's also far more rocky, consistently rocky. Uh, Petty has always had that fine balance of sort of pop rock 
where it borders on cliche occasionally, but then he brings it back with a nice riff or a nice lick or a witty sort of bit here and there. And this is um, no different, really. It's got really no weak tracks on the entire album. I guess if you could pick one or two weak, weaker songs, Feel a Whole Lot Better and The Apartment Song are not the best. Depending on You is probably also a low point. But, I mean, if these are the low points... And these are sort of, you know, 7 out of 10 rated tracks, I would say. It's a pretty good album. Pretty solid the whole way through, and you'll have a great time listening to it. It was released again in 2016, I think. Just about a year before Tom Petty died in October 2017. Something I don't talk about all that often. Still upsets me. And, uh, yeah, it was re-released on vinyl then as well, and that's the edition I have now. It's also available on CD and on all streaming services, of course. But it has gone on to be one of the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' best run of songs. They did play them live and gradually warmed to them, and now they were... Well, now they are, I guess, if they still keep playing without Petty is kind of difficult to say. But they were mainstays of the set list. You've got, I mean, let's just go through the track list. Free Fallin', everybody knows that. I Won't Back Down, everybody knows that. Love is a Long Road is one that not many people know, but it's definitely worth looking at. A Face in the Crowd is one of my favourite Tom Petty songs. One of my all-time favourite ones and isn't played live enough by anyone. Running Down a Dream, great song. Always in the set list. Feel a Whole Lot Better, one that is kind of forgotten. You're So Bad, which is just a brilliant little song. Again, featured regularly in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers sets. Depending on You, The Apartment Song... All Right For Now, that one closed a lot of Tom Petty gigs, actually. So again, a solo one that really found its way into the band. A Mind With A Heart Of Its Own, another one that's forgotten a little bit, and Zombie Zoo, the one at the end that's a bit of a joke sort of track at the end. Of course, there are parts of it that sound a little bit dated in comparison to today. Some of the overdubs sort of fade in a bit abruptly and out a little abruptly. You've also got that typical Tom Petty 12-string a guitar sound which I guess is quite thin and tinny for some people and if you don't like Petty's voice then you're not going to like anything he does but for me it's the best Tom Petty album he did and probably if you want to say it's part of the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers back catalogue which it has kind of become so um, I would probably say it's their absolute best album so Full Moon Fever if you do find it and I have seen it very cheap on CD on vinyl and it's available to download classic album really a minor masterpiece and totally check it out but now on to the main part of the episode This week's guest is multi-instrumentalist, composer and poet Ben Osborne, who's already known as a composer for theatre and film and as lyricist for those things and now comes to us 
with his debut album Letters from the Border. He really channels Leonard Cohen in places, Bjork in other places, Eric Satie, piano in other places, and it's got a nice singer-songwriter vibe to it, but also a bit of experimentation here and there, a little bit of ambience here and there, and it takes on its own form a lot of the time. These songs go in directions that you really don't expect them to go in whatsoever. Letters from the Border is his debut album. It's 10 songs. Um, it's been recorded with local label Nona Star Records, who Ben asked me to give special thanks to for recording this. So shout out to the team there. Well done on making this album. Truly, truly stunning effort. Ben tours live quite regularly in support of the album. Uh, he's playing around Germany at the moment, and he has just been around Europe few dates in Poland as well and you can go to benosborne.com to find out more and he's pretty available on social media too and he'll always be really responsive actually to a lot of stuff and he's just one of the kindest nicest most calm polite people I've ever spoken to Uh, we had a really wide-ranging conversation that has been trimmed for efficiency and time here Uh, we talked about Brexit and the state of the world and politics and lots of other things the environment music songwriting being alone falling in love it was a really wide-ranging conversation that has been quite edited down for this episode but i think you still get the vibe of the conversation that we had so by the end of this episode you're going to learn a little bit about ben himself a bit about songwriting in general and some tips that you can probably put to use there and yes some political views along the way also Uh, Just a very wide-ranging chat we had in his bedroom, in his apartment. I was greeted with a lovely cup of tea. It was absolutely chucking it down with rain, so that was really welcome, and we just had a really, really great time. So here's what happened when I sat down with Ben Osborne. Welcome. Thanks for coming along. You're the first Brit I've had. Oh, wow, okay. And immediately you offered me tea, so... Yeah, there's some things about, you know, there's a lot of problems with um, British people, but one thing that we can do quite well is offer tea. But you didn't, you, you did offer biscuits as well, but you didn't I have didn't any. I didn't actually have any biscuits. So that's, yeah. that's not a problem, though. <laughs> so, Ben Osborne. How would you describe yourself, really, like music-wise, actually? Because it's a bit electronic, but almost classical, but I don't know, kind of a kind yeah. of a strange little blend. Yeah. Um, how would I describe it? I'd say that it, it it's uh, it's pop music, but it's um, influenced very heavily by classical music, and it's influenced by electronic music, and it's also influenced by folk a lot. So those three strands all kind of a part of it I, I mean I I started off playing folk music and then I was playing like indie rock in a kind of slacker way mm. and and then I and I, but I was always doing electronic music kind of in secret you know mm. on like free software yeah uh, and stuff for, for a long time and then the, then all these strands kind of started to come together in the last last uh, couple of years this is st- like me being a solo artist is still quite new Okay, project. so yeah, run me through your musical journey then, actually. Sure, no problem. And I um, guess that will cover coming from Bristol to here yeah, as well at some yeah, point. So. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I was, I was actually born in Oxford, uh, and I was in bands for, like as a teenager, 
Oxford has a really great scene still still does I think has a really good scene for like local bands and so I was playing I was I was always a songwriter before I could play any instruments I was always a songwriter because I couldn't always love writing lyrics and that was kind of yeah at first I was like playing folk music and then I started playing in a band called Where I'm Calling From who were were quite like we were quite loved in Oxford we were just like a teenage band but we had a really good time and we were really ambitious mm. we wanted to be the Pixies and but we we always changed what we wanted to be we were obsessive and kind of <laughs> obsessed I was playing with my best friend who Joe Campbell who's amazing at, at structure so he just got me really into thinking about structure yeah. and then went you know we were kind of like yeah we're gonna be we're gonna do this and then we both went to university and you know <laughs> life happened in that way and I, when I was at university I, I, I was amazed that there was no there was like no music scene I felt no, no music scene that I connected to mm-hmm. and so I started doing music for theatre instead because I had a lot of friends who were theatre makers and I really liked how ambitious they were and how how yeah how they had these grand visions and so I started writing music for them and then and then people started paying me to do that when I was still a student so I started to like yeah started, that became my yeah, my livelihood itself a little bit a little bit yeah it was partly by accident and partly I was like oh this is great I could have this as a job um and then I could you know be a, a songwriter on the side mm-hmm. and that's really stupid because actually like there's not much money making music for theater of course so it wasn't like the simple way to do it but um but because of that that really encouraged me to like in to to, to just pretend I could do everything like so doing a theater soundtrack you talk to a director and he'd be like uh this is a specific he um it's not it's not the all directors i made because they're very much very much not um but this one director (laughs) i'm thinking of he would say like oh i've been listening to loads of monteverdi can you write some madrigals in the Mm. style of monteverdi and i'm like well no i mean i don't have a classical education um but yeah i'll do it you know and so it'd be like that kind of thing or like another director i worked with recently she, this one is a woman. We've balanced it out. Yeah. We've hit the gender equality quota <laughs> for this episode. Um, she, she's like, can we do a, a a soundtrack in the style of like Brecht and Vile, like in the style of like the Dragos Opa, the, the the Brecht musicals, um, but with like elements of like modern uh, electro pop. And you're like, yeah, no, but yeah, sure. sure. You know, and that, and that kind of it. attitude like became how I did stuff. So now it's like, that's kind of maybe why it's become mm-hmm. uh, this mix. Broken among the broke Smelling of last night's smoke One among grains of sand But where did the classical side come from then? Because you said you didn't have uh, any education in that. No. But then the way you speak about music is beyond... Sorry, anyone who's listening, but it's beyond most people. Okay, do tell me if I'm being... um, You know, if I'm not being clear. No, 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 no. No, you're being super clear. It's great. (laughs) But it's just... um, it's quite sort of hard concepts to get a hold of, like different yeah. form and structure. And yeah, I don't know, you seem to have sure. quite a good grasp of the theory. Yeah, I'm a I'm a kind of music theory nerd, but in a very self-taught way. Um, 
we were talking earlier about languages. Yeah, I was going to say, does this go yeah. as well as your Spanish story? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have a tendency to teach myself things. And, and, and Quite badly, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so it's, yeah, I was saying that, like, my Spanish and my German, my, you know, I use quite unorthodox grammar. And I think my music is probably similar. <laughs> like, okay. I, yeah. I have, like, a really obsession with, like, teaching myself stuff and learning theory, but then I cut a lot of corners because I get excited by something. Um, so the classical side, in answer to your question... Uh, I think that was just like a personal kind of fascination and um, and it, it fueled by some really amazing friendships um, in particular Josephine Stevenson who is a French composer living in London and she's just the most incredible composer and I write um, text for her a lot she, mm. she asks, she'll contact me quite often when she has a uh, a new commission and she'll be like oh we need a there's going to be a choir so we need to write something for the choir so she taught me a lot about modern classical music she got me into a lot of composers like Lutoslavsky and Morton Feldman and um, these composers really shaped like how I was hearing after a while um, but the other the other side of that was also just you know stealing and like loving to steal so for me it was always sampling um, I would just listen to a classical piece I liked and wait for a moment where it calmed down mm. and where there was only a couple of voices and then take yeah. them. So I was taking yeah. like bits of Borodin, uh, string quartets and bits of John Adams, kind of minimalist. And there's a huge influence behind your music, of which there's even the biography on the bed laying next to me right now. Oh, autobiography even. And uh, that is Leonard Cohen. Yeah, I'm sleeping with Leonard Cohen right now. As, <laughs> as many, on the bed. many have before. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the new biography. Well, it's not actually, it's not that new. That's the, I think that's the most recent biography of him. It's bef- it was written before he died. Yeah, Leonard Cohen's where did that fascination start with Leonard Cohen? I was um, saying to you, I'm not really a huge Leonard yeah. Cohen fan, but yeah, I I, I think that, that you're what you're saying about coming to it kind of now, and I like I had the same thing. It wasn't like um, I, he was always there. Um, you always know who he is, yeah. kind of. Like, he's just yeah. legendary. So. But it was it's only in the last few years that he became a kind of fascination, mm. almost like mm. philosophical fascination. But like, um, yeah, my, the. With Leonard Cohen, you know, I don't know if you did. You have this when you were a kid, like where you had some friends who would always get you into music, yeah. you know, and you'd you'd know it would be great to hang out with them because you'd go away with yeah, all these new. a few, not many, but yeah, a few. So I had one friend like that, uh, James Hedges. I had a lot of friends like that as a kid, but I'm thinking of James Hedges in particular, who is also an amazing songwriter. He's quite hard to find, but he doesn't have that much stuff around. But if you look up Dear Diary and um, Lord Magpies those are two names that he's used and he's one of the best songwriters I've ever met and uh, we were friends as, we, we, we were good friends when we grew up kind of in the same village in, on the edge of Oxford and I would like go around to his house and he had like an attic room and he had loads of old vinyl and he would just get like you know we'd just sit around listening to records mm-hmm. and um, he got me into you know all the like kind of classic great stuff like Velvet Underground and and into like punk rock and Iggy Pop and Stooges and 
all of this stuff. Mm. But with Leonard Cohen, it was we. He just got me into this one song, which was First We Take Manhattan, mm. yeah. which you know this song. I know. And so that's one of the ones that, you know, that style of Leonard Cohen when he got more electronic and he stopped playing guitar and he started playing a little Casio keyboard and stuff. Mm. Mm. It's this. It's not the bit of his career that now people get excited about i think mm. but for me that was the song that was like this is amazing me and james would talk about it for you know we tried to do a cover of it and stuff and it was terrible because um, we were like 15 um and couldn't sing the thing that james would say about that song is it's like a love song but as if you're talking about politics mm. or it's a political song as if you were talking about love yeah, and i yeah. and I, this just like it sounds simple but it's it's obviously not a simple thing yeah. to do and i yeah. And this just like comes up all the time for me. It's like how to talk about these big things in the way that you experience them in a one-on-one way or or the other way around, like how to see the whole world through the lens of your like emotional existence and your romantic existence. So yeah, that was why. Big but then vocally, <laughs> he must really sort of inspire you. Because uh, you released your... Uh... Mm. Your single, right? Your, is this your debut single, right? This is a debut single, yeah, Fast Awake. And it yeah. is very Cohen-esque sung, or <laughs> that's spoken nice. That's sung. nice, yeah. I mean, that's partly the influence of... Like, I don't think I used to sing like that. I think this last year, when I went into the studio to do the album, which is this song, Fast Awake, is from the, my upcoming album, I found that I had a cold, for one thing, okay. <laughs> but also that my voice had dropped considerably yeah it, it had actually dropped since i'd last recorded and yeah. i couldn't uh, also it was very hard to sing like i found mm. it really i felt very stressed and scared of, of singing mm. um and interestingly i'm reading that letter cohen biography and he had the same thing like in the studio he was always very unconfident about his voice um but the producer i was working with alex stolzer who's one of my best friends here in germany and is kind of a mentor to me um, he really encouraged this, like finding a, a, a kind of poetic voice mm. and to get closer to speaking and to really like tell a story. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a lot of that is him bringing out something mm. uh, as well. And we also bonded on Anna Cohen a lot. And, mm. you know, when we were like recording together, we would like some, some evenings, like make a little bonfire because his studio is out in the countryside and, sit around the bonfire playing like playing a mix of sounds um, pretty good yeah we would play a mix of like Hebrew songs and Let It Go songs okay. that's a strange <laughs> yeah. blend but well, well, well no, they it. go together very well there's a lot of influence <laughs> from Cohen uh, on, on Cohen from uh, but how did Hebrew Fast songs. Awake come around then because it's quite a sort of it sounds quite complex actually composition yeah. wise it is kind of um, there's yeah but there's definitely repeated sort of refrains and passages uh, yeah, and stuff sure. but it's still quite overlaid and overdubbed yeah, it and... is yeah and I, and I don't want to get too technical or uh, like just stop me if I'm if I'm being technical yeah, I'll just shout just shout yeah <laughs> throw, throw a cup of tea at me um <laughs> but like uh it's um it was musically yeah I guess it's kind of it's kind of simple and complicated at the same time it's um it's I, I wrote it on the piano I think or I kind of wrote it half on the piano half on the guitar and um those first it, it, it's I, I guess one of the things that makes it slightly strange or gives it this strange flow is it doesn't tend to go in uh groups of four no. bars so no. it, like you know in pop music 
usually but not all the time but usually you, you kind of have a cycle of, of yeah, four or eight yeah, exactly. and then yeah and you yeah. also have the beat in four and you yeah. also have four lots of something and then it yeah. you know and then the sequence starts again and um i don't do that that often i often put stuff into groups of three or five which is actually goes back to like being a teenager and listening to the pixies because mm. they often mm. do that as well mm. uh, they often like have a sequence that's five chords rather than four or three rather than four um so that's one of the reasons why it sounds a bit strange i guess tonally also i <laughs> yeah i was using a a mode um so m- modes are like scales that are not you know they, they they'll predate major and minor mm-hmm. and they also they're, so they're like a way of using uh, a key that doesn't fit into our kind of Oh, this is a major key or a minor key. I know about them yeah. because I'm sort of classically trained oh, pianist. Really? But, okay. but honestly, I've forgotten most of it. I mean, I've put it somewhere deep in my mind where I never want to think about it ever again. The I, Dorian and all this <laughs> stuff. I'm like, oh. Yeah, the one that I was using um, is... God, I'm trying to remember what it's called. But you've actually summarized what modes are very well, <laughs> I must admit. Like oh, a form of scales that predates simple yeah. major and minor. Great, well, that's also, a really and, good and I, way to... I mean, they all, as well as predate, they also kind of exist next to it yeah, as exactly. well. Yeah. Um, so like major and minor comes from a particular, like a musical tradition of, yeah. of like the Western classical music. But obviously we use that, we as like, westerners use that as a way to talk about all music you know? mm-hmm. but um the mode i was using i think it's called the ukrainian dorian so it's a, it's a type of dorian mode but starts elsewhere in the scale mm-hmm. um so it's a it's a it's just like a way of a, a set of notes basically yeah, and it's a yeah. set of notes that you use so that one in particular was i i'd been playing um some yeah, I'd been I'd been kind of getting interested in a few different musical traditions, and the scale kept coming up. So the first kind of chords, the way that they resolve feels a bit strange because yeah. they're following that scale. But also yeah. for me, it, it, like I thought, what was nice about it was that it also felt quite familiar because that kind of scale is in a lot of types of music, particularly mm. Eastern European music. Uh, so it also it's not like. I don't think it's experimental, you know. I think it's, like, old-sounding. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean. But it is definitely um, rhythmically jarring, I guess. Rhythmically jarring. Yeah, Yeah. that's interesting. But once you've sort of listened to the first sort of 20 seconds or so, it becomes quite natural, actually. You don't really pay attention to it Yeah, that's true, though. It's rhythmically, it's quite strange as well, because it's in in kind of six. I think it's, yeah. and And then it kind of has this point the bridge where it switches into a more traditional three. Yeah, yeah. So it has this kind of waltzy feeling yeah, then, yeah. which is very Leonard cohen that kind of waltzy yeah. thing to me. But the, um, yeah, the six and both Alex and I, when we were, we were working together, we realized that we both do this thing a lot where we put stuff in six, but we play a kind of four on top. Uh-huh. Um, this kind of poly, quite simple polyrhythm. Um, so polyrhythm being two rhythms two. at the same time as each other. Um, or more than two, mm. um, where you can kind of, you know, your your ear can choose which one to follow. Yeah. Like they're kind of given the same weight almost. So, yeah, so that's happening. And 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 then the drum machines and stuff. I mean, I, I kind of like didn't know what was going to happen, you know, like yeah. I, I'd written it on the piano. I knew it was going to be on the album. It was the first one that was like this definitely for this album. But then I went into the studio and I, I kind of laid down some of the piano bits and 
And then I left it for ages. I was like, I don't know what what, what it's going to be because I know this is one that feels really urgent to do. And then I just, one night, um, I was on my own in the studio. I stayed up all night uh, with two synthesizers. <laughs> and and in the end, I'd made this like bass line and drum beat. So the drum beat was through this like analog synthesizer that I kind of didn't, you know, I was just kind of playing around until these sounds came out and then just like recording it. So, and then Alex heard it and he was like, yeah, this is really cool. And then he kind of did the same thing. Like he took the same synthesizer with the same settings that I'd put on it and just played over that once, yeah. just doing another level of rhythm. And then we started putting on all these other little bits of rhythm. Like there's a mandolin mm. uh, doing this like ding, 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 ding mm. throughout. And then there's a the violin doing that as well, like kind of matching it, but also playing against it so it was always this mix of like careful structuring and just being really free and improvising You were saying that um, Nonastar Re- Records is quite an interesting label. They are, we, yeah. When you messaged me before and we organised this. Mm. What, what do you mean by that exactly? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I just don't know if there's many labels that, that work the way they do. They're, they're a small community, but very dedicated. Um, it's a, The label is run by Alex and then also by uh, Jennifer Schild, who's a really brilliant... Uh, at marketing and this kind of she's she's worked with a lot of different labels she she kind of runs the more administrative and business side of it basically and then there's this art collective called cargo cult who make all the merchandise and make the videos and make the covers of a lot of the records and they kind of give it this conceptual edge that's really interesting they're quite they're quite radical in some ways and they're quite they think quite politically that that collective and that really um it's really interesting working with people like that because it's not just like what are people going to think when they hear this it's like what is what is it that we're actually trying to say you know all the time and and there's yeah it really it really fires you up like working like that it really makes you go like because for one thing it makes you take it seriously which is good but it also makes you laugh at it and makes you step back and kind of go like this is a really strange thing you know to want to make music and to be so uncertain about what that's going to bring you back like so what is it that I want to add to this conversation you know what uh, and then it becomes about like everything it becomes like what you're going to wear and how you're going to kind of write in, in, in your kind of what you're going to I don't know what text is going to be like associate with your name or like what is it you're going to be like what's the performance all the time that you're going to be doing yeah. which I'm terrible at thinking like that yeah, you know? um, yeah it doesn't come naturally to, to a lot of musicians I think and, no. and I, I think of myself as like yeah a writer at first and then a musician and both of those things you get a lot you can hide behind you yeah know? definitely and then this this but once you start releasing you're like okay there's going to be a video of me there's going to be all these pictures of me the, the best outcome is if 
that those go lots of places and suddenly it's fucking ridiculous because you're like now I've got to think about who that is that they're going to be talking about I've got to have some consistency yeah so having people like that it's amazing and then and then I haven't even talked about the the music of that label (laughs) but that's what I like about it is that it's very conceptually kind of run Uh, and musically it's reflects Alex's taste I'd say it's like a mix of like Alex is a violinist with like classical training who then started making like a kind of experimental techno type music for a while and then and is also a really great songwriter and so the the community that he's kind of drawn around him is is similar it's like sometimes it's more like classical musicians um but who are making a kind of modern uh, minimal classical sound um he's also releasing like some pure techno but with a it's also got this kind of minimal and melodic edge to it um and he's now starting working with some more kind of poppy artists as well so because he's got a real love of song as well so it's like this eclectic mix but united by this uh by this quite minimal sound uh this like willingness to experiment and also this willingness to engage with the concept as well i think Try not to dream of you because it broke my heart when i woke up saying this how do you replicate this live though because you do play live and you've got a live. few dates um on but it's a big question right now because i used to play I've played in a lot of different forms, you know. Mm. and Because it's not just something you can pick up a guitar no. and strum along to, And really. that's one way that I do perform, is like I play guitar and or play the piano and sing. Mm. Um, I guess piano, it might be a bit more replicable, but... Yeah, I mean, that's a question, actually. Like, I'm going into the studio with Alex this weekend, and we're going to work on, on it because we've got a tour coming up. Mm. I'm touring in support of him through February and March or mm. even the end of no sorry end of January and beginning of February um, we're touring in Germany and Poland and part of that will be a chance to try out the set before my release tour which is in May okay. um, I still don't know I mean I use Ableton uh, mm. so which is very useful software for, for doing yeah. stuff live yeah. but I'm still finding out how to it's a question of like how much you want to be coming from the software, you know, cause yeah. And I always change my mind about this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was that mm-hmm. I, I love a really live sound. I love the ability for things to change in the moment. I love when you see a musician and it's completely different to the album. I love that, you know, yeah. when it's like you're yeah. adding to the story of them, you know, in your head, but at the same time, especially for a debut album, you really want to be able to introduce people yeah. to yeah, the sound. In the way that you've them. recorded yeah. it. Um, so we're working on it at the moment, like how much we put on the track. I think I'll tour with Alex playing violin and doing some of the electronics and I'll play piano and guitar and mandolin. And, and then you'll have some backing, I guess. Tracks yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fire it through Ableton. So we'll have like, yeah. well, the way I do it at the moment is I use like a controller, similar to how like a lot of electronic musicians perform kind of like firing clips and, yeah. and, and live kind of mixing and, and playing with the sounds and editing them and, and and then with live elements too. But hopefully we'll find a way to have a lot of variation and a lot of freedom. I mean, I was recently at a festival uh, in the Netherlands, like Guess Who, and I saw a lot of acts there who just 
pressed play and then performed and it was actually brilliant like mm. like i mm. saw um serpent with feet who's one of my favorite songwriters at the moment and he just like half the songs he played the piano and the other half he pressed play on itunes mm. and then he's you know sang on top of that and it was great like yeah, it was yeah. because he just did it like he just yeah. embodied it and i guess that's yeah that's the that's the real thing, you know. It's like getting that confidence. Yeah, it's it's difficult though. Mm. Well, and I'm not so good. I use Ableton for this and for mm. music as well, but I'm not so well versed in it, especially yeah. the sort of live sort of clip inserting and stuff. I'm really not very good at actually. I mm. think if I bought myself a sort of small controller, I'd be a lot better because you just can't do it on a on a mouse yeah, pad yeah, going like this. It doesn't really work. So um, I know. So I try to stay away from a lot of overdubs just because I'm sure. like fuck it I'm never going to be able sure. to play this otherwise. yeah well it's just unless I have a huge band of like 10 people yeah yeah so. well it just depends on it's weird like when you listen to Lenny Cohen for example I don't think people realise how strange the production is like mm. I think we're so used to some of those songs that become so iconic that we also kind of forget how they really sound on his albums and even mm. on his first album there's a lot of strange sounds just happening in the distance almost um that become really part of the the song. So I think like production is production is about adding these things that can be quite subtle or can be quite jarring or, mm. but yeah, I think also that's the cool thing about writing songs is that there's, a, there's so many ways you can interpret them mm. and playing live is a really great opportunity to, to find out some ways and, and play with that. Yeah. Um, Did you walk alone today? To hear the screech of train brakes Make chords on gentle wind Echoed by starlings Everything is ending and beginning But aside from music uh, for yourself Or mm-hmm. lo- not for yourself but by yourself You're also part of this um, open music lab Yeah You mentioned yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. The Open Music Lab has been running for two and a half years, I guess. Um, when I first came to Berlin three years ago, um, it was the the kind of so-called refugee crisis yeah. uh, was very apparent, like in a way that now I don't think it's quite as apparent that I think we're living in the political repercussions of it instead. But... Um, I felt very strongly, I, w- I felt a lot of shame at how Britain had responded by just, there was obviously a massive popular desire to help people, but the government was afraid of political repercussions and let in so few refugees that there was nowhere for that energy to yeah, go. And, it was really and not many. It was, it was yeah, like 20,000 over four and years and, or yeah, something. Yeah, and then they've kind of gradually pushed that number yeah. down to, I think. Whereas being in Germany, I was like, well, I really want to be part of the movement that says like we, we really welcome refugees and we 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 yeah we we provide spaces for them and even though I was new to Germany I still felt like as uh, European or, or whatever you know I had to uh, do, do do something so I, I started off doing like food in a few shelters like making breakfast Spring, surrounded by starling would like go to shelters and people I met there would be like so what do you do and I was like I'm a musician and they'd be like well why aren't you doing music you know and I think like maybe in a typical kind of British way 
I've been like, oh, I can't possibly, you know, I can't, I couldn't possibly yeah, do no, music. I'm I not, couldn't do that. <laughs> those awful hippies. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. But um, that's uh, not a job. <laughs> but I was. But then I, I yeah, I um, started. You know, I joined a group of people that were setting up a music school, a free music school, and myself and my partner at the time, um, and my and a, another good friend, uh, Chad Pathaney, who runs Donal One One Five. We were like, we're going to set up an electronic space or a space to learn about composing music and a place to learn about recording music and stuff. So, because we were like, there's one thing to go and have guitar lessons or whatever, which is brilliant, and, and everyone should do that if they want to. But also that we wanted to like empower people to make their own work, mm. and we also recognised that we were meeting musicians from. Syria and Afghanistan, in particular, who who were already accomplished musicians, but didn't have anything to like work with. So mm. wanted to learn how they were going to make music now without their mm. instruments or equipment or their band or whatever. Mm. So, um, and we thought Berlin has this huge scene of bedroom producers as yeah. well as like yeah. really big professional electronic musicians and electronic studios, and we wanted to share that basically so that's so we started running these weekly sessions on all different aspects of music and they're, they're totally open they're actually open to anyone you don't have to be a refugee no. at, at all like it's it's for anyone who wants to learn because because that was kind of the point was that we would wanted to have an open community mm. um and that's been going yeah pretty continuously since then uh and getting bigger and stronger all the time it's really we we recently kind of in last summer we merged with another group called Music Unite and and they they were amazing and um that's kind of really grown what we do uh, my friend Gabby who was running that is now co-running Open Music Lab as well mm-hmm. and that was brilliant because we started she brought this amazing group of young Syrian guys who were learning to produce and they've just done some really cool stuff they've been they've been making really amazing tracks and they've been playing shows now and we're going to release some of their stuff next Mm. year we're starting a little label to do that we've we've had some like incredible teachers come like incredible volunteers come and you know from people who are like just awesome people who make Mm. great music Mm. but like it's a hobby or whatever to people who are like really successful djs who are kind of internationally renowned or something you know we had uh Marianne Hobbs from oh, BBC coming. My old tutor. No way. Yeah. She is so lovely. She did two workshops with us. And- she, um, there was when I was at Sheffield University. She was the head of the um, student media team oh, there wow. for a year. So she, she was my old sort of like not tutor, but like um, personal mentor, I guess <laughs> something like that. Have you sent her this podcast? No, I haven't. You should. I should now. She's very <laughs> um, yeah. She's very passionate about broadcasting, and she she no, gave, she's great, amazing. She came and gave two workshops, and we're starting a kind of broadcast or podcast now with this community. Mm-hmm. So she she kind of set us off on that, and she's been so supportive. And so yeah, we've had like a really amazing. It's growing all the time as well. There's like links to different. Um, different organisations and people and places that that want to connect with us. And we we've got support from Ableton. We uh, they've given us some. They're giving us some software, and they've also like, yeah, they've kind of welcomed us into their community mm-hmm. in a really lovely way. Native Instruments are also starting to support us, and so we yeah. So that's a really cool thing. Nice. I mean, that's that's 
that was kind of why I stayed in Berlin. Okay. I came here slightly running away from frustrations with not making my own music and just, just doing soundtracks, which is a brilliant job. But I was like, you know, I was getting lost a bit and yeah. doing my own yeah. stuff. And then I stayed here because of the Open Music Lab. Musically, what are your sort of next ambitions? Releasing this album, this album touring? Yeah, the tour, the album, this is all new, you know? Mm. Like, and there's a decision to, like, not just do it here. Like, I could record, you know, lots of people right now are recording amazing music in their, in their flats, in their bedrooms, whatever. But to do it with a label, to do it with a community and with a great studio, the ambition was, like, because we want the world to hear it somehow, mm. so... That's um, that's the big thing, like finding out how we do that. Mm. Uh, there's a really great team working with me, but it's also quite a new label. Everything's new, so mm. it's it, yeah, that's going to be the big thing. It'll be a good year, though. I it's, think I think, I it's think you've be got a good, good year. year. Coming yeah, up. I think that, you know if the, if the world ends this year, then at least I've made an album. <laughs> <laughs> you've done something pretty good, so that's good. <laughs> album for the end of the world. And that's it for BPM Pod this week. Thank you very much for joining. And here to play us out with a special acoustic rendition of his song The Only Thing from the album Letters from the Border, please welcome Ben Osborne. Did you walk alone today To hear the screech of train breaks make chords on gentle wind echoed by starlings everything is ending and beginning and the birds are singing that's the only thing that their voices do Did you sit alone a while By the muddy riverside Watch slowly rippling Reflections of starlings Everything is ending and beginning And the birds are singing That's the only thing find tears there blown by storms in your head in that garden in late spring surrounded by starlings everything is ending and beginning and the birds are singing that's the only thing that there
Sen.